Joining us now on CEO Uncovered is a fantastic guest, Rosalind Wiseman. Rosalind is an author, public speaker who has spent years studying how teenagers develop and learn. Her book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, Helping Your Daughter Survive, became the basis for the hit movie and play Mean Girls. Rosalind, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Of course. So the movie Mean Girls was a huge success. It all started from your work. How did you first become interested in studying the dynamics in the school systems? So I was lucky enough to fall into what I love doing, which is, and to do it to this day. So really lucky to be able to do that. I was actually teaching um, what is now social emotional learning. There was no names for it back then. I was also teaching self-defense to girls. And one of the things that, um, you know, I was getting along with young people. I was 22 at the time. So I wasn't that much older than high school people I was working with. And people started asking me to do more and more things with young people. And um, I started writing curricula. And the thing that I did from the very beginning was the students that I was working with could help create the curricula with me or I would make a mistake or I would think things weren't great. You know, I just like, they're not hitting right. Or this is, and um, I would ask young people to give me critiques and feedback about what I needed to do better. And so all of the work that I was doing was always informed by and always made better by young people's feedback and criticism and what I was learning from them. And so inevitably I was asked to talk to parents and in the evenings, you know, parents would come up to me and say, like, can I talk to you for a second? And then they'd want to, like, you know, give tell me their pain that they were in because of some situation that was happening with their with their kids. And I really felt like people did not understand what was happening in the world of girls. And so I decided to write it all down in a book. And that's what became communities and one And that was your first book you've ever written. Right. No, that's not no. true. I actually, strangely enough, but there's no, no, you know, understandable. I, that was not the first book I wrote. The okay. first book I wrote was actually um, something I wrote and published when I was 25. Wow. And it was called Defending Ourselves. And um, it was based on this work. Basically, you know, somebody went to lunch one day. I've been from D.C. And they were looking for a, a young woman to write um, a book that had come out like 20 years before that. And they um, were looking for a young woman who knew about that content to write this book. And so I sort of fell into it. I read that book. It probably didn't, you know, it didn't sell very well. It was, but Queen Bees was not the first book I wrote. <laughs> Can you share how the book Queen Bees One Bees led to a movie and how did that impact have on society? Yeah, you know, it's an ongoing thing for me uh, to really appreciate, acknowledge, appreciate, understand what, how this little, this book, this how-to parenting book for girls, this nonfiction how-to advice book for parents became such a part of the zeitgeist. And it's really been a journey for me. Um, There's been positives and negatives about it. There's been a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. So the way it became a the movie was that right before the book, no, wait, right before, it was right around the time the book was published, that there was an article in the New York Times about the work I was doing with girls, and um, Tina Faisai, and she wanted to make the movie based on based on that, and that's how it became Bean Girls. And was the movie taking place where the book was taking place, was it the same area? In Chicago? No. No. No, 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 no. So, Queen Bees is a nonfiction yeah. advice book for parents. 
So I was taking all of the experiences I'd had with young people to that point, which was Mm -hmm. mostly in Washington, D.C., but I was already traveling all over. And so she took the stories I was describing and the dynamics I was describing in these and helped and it created the foundation of the plot. Um, It's not unusual for people when they realize that it's based on this book and somebody who had been working and studying and working with girls all the time and got feedback from girls about the book, why the movie resonated, why it was so real for people. Because it was coming from my work, it was coming from young people telling me what was real and what wasn't real for mm-hmm. them. At Sea Uncovered, we obviously, we work with schools around the country. What would you like for them to know about Mean Girls and bullies in their schools? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, for any of the students who have had to suffer through a really unrealistic, mm-hmm. superficial, patronizing, anti-bullying program, I apologize and you deserve better. I think that most of the programs that are directed at young people around issues like that or social media or anything mm-hmm. where, where young people are being told how to behave, that we rarely give young people the programs that they deserve that are reflective of their experience and aren't patronizing. Education tends to give young people, especially in the line of work that I'm in, we tend to design programs that we think should motivate young people, but actually don't. And we don't ask young people what they need and what actually motivates them Mm -hmm. to um, create programs that will resonate, right? That young people will go, okay, this is, I can relate to this. This You know, this is something I can actually apply and use in my life. And, you know, that was frustrating to me 25 years ago. It is frustrating to me today that, you know, just as much today, I mean, it's different flavors of it, but, you know, the, the banning of book libraries or not letting young people talk about the issues that they're dealing with every day, I think is condescending, patronizing, and unrealistic. And I think that young people have the right to have mm-hmm. education that matches their life experience. And it's been an ongoing, incredible source of frustration for me that we don't recognize young people as the subject matter experts of their lives. Mm-hmm. It's not that adults don't have wisdom to offer. We do. Some of us do. Not all of us do. Some of us do. But we have to be able to understand the context that young people are living in before we give them advice. And we tend to just start lecturing before we actually start to like actually say, what is your life like? So that any advice I give you makes any kind of sense. Yeah. You were such a vessel for young people. Did you grow up with somebody you looked to to mentor or for advice? It's a good question. You know, I think one of the things that's really important when you look, like, no, not often. I did not. Mm -hmm. Or there were people that actually turned out, like, it's it's a really good question because sometimes people are mentors they don't realize are. Yeah. Or people who are, but actually aren't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right who, yeah. you know who sort of are supposed to be but actually it's like this is the kind of leadership that is not helpful to me thank you very much you know what comes to mind for me is when I was in college my freshman year I had been a competitive athlete in school and I hated it absolutely hated it and so I, I stopped pretty quickly after I got to college and I started doing martial arts just I had no idea what I was doing but there was a young woman who I got to know in that environment 
And I come from the East Coast. I was pretty snotty as a high school person. You know, I was pretty, I really was. Like, I mean, I look back and it's definitely embarrassing about how sort of how dodgy I was. Anyway, so there was this woman who was in the dojo with me and she was, you know, if you looked at her, you would think that she was very sort of classically pretty. She wore lots of makeup. Her nails were always done. She was very friendly. She was not going to university. And she actually turned out, and so because I had come from the environment I'd grown up in, my judgments and stereotypes, which I'm really embarrassed about now, like I just didn't see her as the mentor that she actually was. And she actually turned out to be an incredible mentor for me. Um, she really, like, she really, really did. She showed me that there are other ways, like, don't be so quick to judge, right? And people can be really tough who don't look that, who don't classically look that tough and resilient and strong and and she really actually taught me about how to be both like i'm i'm not that kind of a person right like i don't have things always done i'm still her friend today but i really learned a lot about how she could be you could be different identities and be authentic to who you are which i think by the way not to get into this quagmire but i will is a Gosh, I really hope that young people do that, right? We're so quick to want to label ourselves and claim an identity, which identity is important, really important. But at the same time, I think sometimes we can be so quick to like claim one and not allow ourselves to try on other things. And it's really to the detriment, I think, of our own individual development. So she's a good example to me. Uh, she was all different kinds of people, right? But if you saw her, you would think, yeah, no way would she be supportive of these issues or strong in this way so you know i don't i don't like young people being boxed in any way and and i do worry now about our own desire to have identity that it boxes us in in ways that are actually not to our best in our best interest in our best interest of developing who we are as people just thinking the question came to me is i know a lot of friends i had in high school either did they wanted to get therapy or they wanted to talk to someone, but the thing pushing them away was what their parents would think, right? They didn't want their parents to think they were not okay because they did. And having therapy doesn't necessarily mean that you're not, not okay. You're just trying to better yourself. For those in high school who are afraid to even ask their parents or get that help because they don't want the stigma, what would you say to them and how to go about it? Oh my gosh, so many things. First of all, everybody gets into situations that are overwhelming. Everyone, mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. I don't care how together you think you are. That's the first thing. Everybody gets into situations where they need help. And knowing who to go to for what, I think is one of the most important life skills to have. And also there's no shame in growth, right? This is just about growth and about being compassionate to yourself and being able to like understand how to be in this world and develop your mm -hmm. skills, right? Like, I think it's also really important to remember that your emotions are real and they are very real and emotions can shift, they can move. You know, one of the things I want young people to really understand in my perspective, is I think young people's rights are being systematically taken away in this country. And their right to get, you know, to advocate for themselves, to get mental health, uh, mental health help, to get physical health help, to get the access to physical and mental health care that they need. Let's be clear, is being targeted and successfully targeted. Young people's rights are being taken away 
And I really want young people to stop. I don't think all young people are doing this, but I think that I have a philosophy of be easy on people, hard on ideas. And it doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable for the crappy things that they do. But it does mean that we're so easy to blame people or to cancel people or all that stuff that when we do that, we can't focus on the actual ideas that are happening so that we can focus on them to solve them. And I want, I'm really concerned and I really depend on young people to recognize this, that right. like canceling people out and after people is distracting to the actual issues of their rights being taken away. And this goes back to mental health for me, because if you really, if we're going to get to a place where young people have to, have to have their parents sign off on every kind of health issue that they have, young people are in trouble. Yeah. And I'm depending on you all to like advocate for yourselves because mm -hmm. um, it's super serious. The laws that are coming down about social media use and like that's about mental health too for young people. And so for me, a friend of mine just wrote a really excellent piece named Dana Boyd. Um, she just wrote on this, but just suffice to say, I understand and I think young people can understand that any parent understandably feels overwhelmed by their child's social media use and like, oh my God, right? Nevertheless, that they're doing it themselves. They're just as, as quote unquote addicted as their kids are. But those laws, those laws are going to stop a young person from being able to call a friend if they're going to be family and get help. They're going to stop a young person's access to mental health. Like if the curfews are going to happen of these laws, say you're, say you're in a mental health crisis, and a lot, the law in your state is that you have a curfew where you cannot use social media after 10 p.m. That is a problem. So understandable that parents are worried, but understand what the, actually what these laws are about, which I think they truly are about, which is controlling young people. So to go back to your question about mental health, you have every right to ask for help. And your emotions are real. Has there been a challenging aspect in your career thus far? And if so... How did you overcome it? Oh my gosh, like count how many? Jeez. I mean, can you specify on a particular topic? I think a lot of <laughs> students think like after college, it's like rainbow and roses and you're independent. And a lot of them don't realize life's just getting started, everyone, you know? Yeah. My, I have a sophomore in, in college and he said to me, he's playing over his week. Uh, last time I talked to him, he's got like a private, he's, he's got like three jobs and he's got a couple classes, obviously. And got to pay for you know he's getting lots of parking tickets on his at, on campus and he was enraged by it and they were really expensive and he, said, and he was playing over his week with me and he was like god like i'm working or still being like all week like all day this is like and i'm like yeah welcome you know which is why it's really important to have a job that you don't hate and that you feel that you're contributing to something larger than yourself in any capacity you know work or otherwise like right now, for example, I am having to redo Cubies and Wannabes for the fourth edition of it because it's out of date. And I'm sitting here and I'm totally panicked and frightened about like, how do I know what's going on with young people? Like, am I going to be able to do this? Like, I'm, I've been writing for a long time. And I'm still really worried about this, which by the way, if anybody wants to help me, I'm taking editors right now for Queenies and Wannabes. So hit me up on Rosalind. Very cool. I'm serious about that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the thing that I recently have gone public about, which is totally, you know, and I did it on purpose and I did it mindfully is, um, you know, I talked about my very negative experience with you girls and I was really taken advantage of and I continue to be taken advantage of today. And I was really disappointed 
by um, I there's I mean I, you can people can read about it so I don't have to go into it at length here but I didn't advocate well it's not that I didn't advocate for myself it's that I was in a situation where I had actually very little power and I didn't I just I couldn't go I couldn't it's 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 just been how do I I'm losing my words here so you can see how difficult it is for me I wish I would have handled it differently I don't know how I would. And it's easy to beat yourself up when you're in those kinds of situations. It's hard to find self-compassion. But, you know, I mean, Tina Fey was not the person that I had hoped she was. Um, we were going to do an anti-bullying program. And the musical came out that never came to fruition. That was really upsetting to me. Because I don't see why we don't make the world a better place if we can. And, you know, it's just really, it's been, it's been a really complicated process for me. Um, am I glad that I did it? Absolutely. 100%. And it's, um, you know, it's like you just go through life making mistakes and then you try and learn from them and you try and hold your ethics and your principles as you go through the process of making mistakes and learning from them and getting upset. And, you know, I don't know if it gets easier, but I do think that you get used to, maybe this is how it gets easier. You get used to like, oh, I'm, I'm in a situation that's really hard. I know I'm going to get through it, especially if there's people that you really trust that support you and you can send. And they can also give you the hard, you know, sometimes hard stuff that you don't necessarily want to hear, but they will yeah. I'll talk to you. Oh, and also, you're definitely, everyone always has imposter syndrome. Every, most everybody. There's something wrong with you, I think, if you don't. And I, I think the difference between what I like is instead of imposter syndrome, it's imposter moments where you're like, I'm having a moment where I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. But when you have imposter moments, it, I think it motivates you to keep learning. You don't feel like a fraud. You just feel like I better actually do my homework and, and work hard so that I feel good about myself and that I'm credible to myself. So I think imposter moments can be actually really empowering ultimately. You know, I think it's super important that you came out and said something, not just for yourself, but like I, what we do is how we educate young people on financial literacy. And it's through all scopes and of life and its communication and, and its uh, contracts. It's also business advice and having people like you who are no shame and to come out and speak your truth helps those look at this situation and say, how can I learn from it? You're actually a beacon for those because a lot of people don't come out and say anything and that doesn't help anyone. It's, you're not helping anyone learn or and grow. Well, thank you. I mean, I think the thing I would say to people who are doing like financial literacy is one, if you have content, if you're a content creator, you have to have a lawyer and you have to have a good lawyer. Second is when you have a feeling when you, if somebody says, if you raise a, a problem or there's something going on in your gut and they say, it's fine, don't worry about it. Don't believe that. Because if you don't feel it's fine, there's something in you that's saying it's not fine. And that is an important thing to listen to. And, you know, the third thing also is it is, especially ironically, the more successful you are, the more it feels like you can't admit your mistakes. And I just, like what you're saying, I just don't think that's true. Like, I think, yeah, like I trusted the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And ironically, right, because the content of Mean Girls is about ultimately about women supporting each other. And so the, for, like, the thing I would say to any of the people who are listening who are, of course, you know, you're going to grow up and be super successful at something is that when you are in a position of power and privilege, that you do what you can to make things more equitable. Mm -hmm. And and I've tried to do that my entire life. And the mangoes 
situation was not that. And that's, I think, what's one of the more disappointing I mean, things. I'm not like blowing up on a little ball, right? I'm fine. Like my life is, things are fine. But really it's important that when you're in a position of privilege that you work to make things more equitable for others. Completely agree. I always ask everyone this as my last question, but if you could give a piece of advice to a teenage or college version of yourself, what would you tell her today? Yeah, I would say when you're, I would, because I'm young, because, you know, my younger self, I would say, take the chance, take the chance of betting on yourself, because if it doesn't work out, who cares? But if it does, especially when you're young, the upside is so much bigger, right? So in my case, if I said, you know what, I'm going to take it on the back end of the movie, or I'm going to really put my foot down about stuff, I right? Then that's the time in life to do it. I think. I mean, maybe the goal is to do it all your life, but especially when you're young, because like, what do you have to lose? You know, I think doing that, right? Like Dave Chappelle talks about that a lot. I, you know, his his Netflix situation is he's a good he's a good business person. You say it that way, right? I mean, if you want to talk about financial literacy and understanding contracts, and he's a good role, he's a good role model. He yeah. is a good role model. I wish I had seen Dave. I wish I had known about that <laughs> many years ago. Yeah. He could have been my role model when I was signing all those documents. Yeah. <laughs> Rosalind, thank you so much for joining us on CEO Uncovered. It's been a pleasure to have you and just learn from your expertise and your amazing career journey. And I'm sure students are going to be thrilled to listen in. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm serious about this uh, editing. I need help. So anybody wants to, please do so. <laughs>